Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, glad you're with us on this Monday. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. We're brought to you by Theragun. And Jim, let's dive right into it. Um, If this good martini actually happened, and I have reason to believe it did, this is a huge moment in the Middle East in a year full of huge moments in the Middle East. We now, of course, have four members of the Abraham Accords because you've got the UAE, Bahrain, and Sudan, which have signed on to normalize relations with the Israelis. Uh, The Trump administration had hoped to get others on board, and maybe some are close, although with changing administrations, who knows how that complicates things. Uh, The big fish, of course, would be to get the Saudis on board, and it's possible that things are thawing there even without a formal declaration. Now, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is denying this meeting happened uh, recently with Netanyahu and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, mind you, in Saudi Arabia. The reason the Israeli media and others think this happened is because, much like we watch private uh, plane flight schedules when it's time to pick a vice president or a Supreme Court justice, um, that's how they watch this. One of uh, the uh, private planes Netanyahu frequently uses was apparently used to fly to Saudi Arabia. Uh, the crown prince, again, denying that this happened. Netanyahu is not making comment at all. Haven't heard from Pompeo. But, uh, Jim, if this actually happened, this is absolutely monumental. It is a, you know, monumental. It is a big deal. And it all sounds pretty plausible in light of what we know. We know Michael, Mike Pompeo has been in the Middle East for a pretty long stretch. Um, more and kind of, you know, I don't want to necessarily say uh, an unusually long stretch of time, but, you know, more than your usual checking in with our, our usual allies type uh, type visit. We know that there have been rumblings about this. Trump himself has said that he thought the the Saudi Arabian and Israel would be next up. He's been hinting several times that there were other countries that were having these discussions. Many pointed out that Bahrain is unlikely to have gone forward with the Abraham Accords if Saudi Arabia was not giving at minimum a tacit approval or non-opposition to that decision. And the other thing, which I'll just notice, that every once in a while, pretty much since Iran's nuclear program really got rolling, there have been intermittent rumors about the Saudis and Israelis doing, you know, behind the scenes intelligence sharing, um, low-level cooperation on things to muck up the works for uh, Iran. Uh, the, the stuff has never come out. The Israelis are very good about keeping their secrets. Saudi Arabia is a closed society. They're pretty good about keeping their secrets too but they do have shared interests there. And the other kind of one last thing I'll just kind of float as a possibility. Look, the Trump administration's days are numbered and Joe Biden is going to be coming in here. Joe Biden is part of an administration that pushed for the Iran deal. And many people suspect that Joe Biden is likely to try to uh, restart the Iran deal and try to get the United States to rejoin the Iran deal um, because it doesn't, you know, it was never pushed through Congress. It was never, you know, it's, it's all done by executive authority. If you were Israel and if you were Saudi Arabia and you didn't want that to happen, if you wanted to send a signal to an incoming Biden administration that, hey, you don't want to make this move, one of the things you could do is to say, hey, we're on the verge of a major diplomatic breakthrough. We could have something that would be a you know beautiful ceremony. They could hold the ceremony anywhere. But theoretically, if you know sometime early in 2021, once everyone's had their shots or something, if Joe Biden wants to have a White House ceremony with the King of Saudi Arabia and Prime Minister Netanyahu, boy, that would be a heck of a, a you know a, a, a wonderful sort of event that any president would love to host. 
So maybe this is a signal to Biden to say, hey, 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 don't go ahead with your, your efforts to restart efforts to allow Iran to have an only civilian pursuit of nuclear energy uh, and, and all these other reasons that Israel did not feel particularly safe and most of the Arab states did not feel particularly safe. So add it all up. I think it's pretty plausible. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense both for those countries. And I hope the Biden administration is paying incoming administration is paying attention. Um, we'll see how things shake out there. And again, this is not, no one said on the record, yes, this meeting happened. So I suppose we should take it with a grain of salt or two, but, um, you know, Greg, maybe that salt's from the Dead Sea. <laughs> it could be. Uh, quick clarification here. It's not the crown prince who denied that the meeting happened. It's Prince Faisal bin Farhan al-Sad, who is the foreign minister. Uh, the crown prince, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, has not uh, gone on the record saying the meeting did not happen. And according to Israeli sources, in addition to Netanyahu and the crown prince, the head of the Mossad, uh, Yossi Cohen, was also there along with uh, Mike Pompeo. So uh, maybe we'll find out one way or the other soon whether this actually happened and if so, uh, what's going on. But, uh, you know, like you said, uh, with, with Biden at least talking at this point like he wants to reinstate the Iran deal and seeing what that actually did to the region, uh, hopefully he thinks better of it. And now that he's starting to put his foreign policy team together, generally populated by people who could be a lot worse, and it's also populated by people who are pretty chummy towards the Iran deal. So I'm not overly optimistic. You know, Greg, I have a piece in the corner this morning looking at the selections we've seen so far and saying, yeah, you know, it could be worse. Now, I'm figuring everyone's going to say, Jim, why are you cheerleading for these selections? No, no, I'm just just saying that it's not Stacey Abrams and Susan Rice and uh, Andrew Cuomo and, and you know, all, all the uh, folks we really didn't want to see in this administration, at least not yet. So, you know, knocking on wood could be worse. Well, you know, negotiating peace in the Middle East can be stressful. And one of the ways to ease the, the, the tension in the shoulders and beyond, as well as the region, is Theragun. That might be putting a little bit too much credit to Theragun. I don't want to give him that much responsibility uh, to actually solve the Middle East uh, crisis. But, you know, uh, it, for the people who are actually trying to work this out in a good faith way, uh, I think they could all use Theragun as these uh, thorny issues get settled out. Because, look, the stress of daily life weighs on all of us. And whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person trying to get through the day, Muscle pain and muscle tension is a real thing, and it's been a really stressful year, and the Theragun is a great way to ease out the tension in those muscles. As I said, we've had a chance to use the Theragun, and my wife and I absolutely love it. Uh, you connect it to your app. You go through uh, different, uh, you know, your, your quads, your calves, your bottoms of your feet, your shoulders, your back, everything, uh, and it just really does make you feel much more relaxed. And, and comfortable. And it, I just went to the chiropractor last week and I said, you know, you use this thing on me quite a bit, but you know, you know what you're doing. Uh, is this something we should be doing at home? And he said, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, don't stick it next to your head, but uh, the Theragun in, in terms of, of relieving uh, pains and, and strains in your muscles is a very good tool. So uh, that, among those other reasons, that's why we use the Theragun. That's why you should use Theragun, the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now, as quiet as an electric toothbrush. That's because the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that is so quiet, you will wonder if it's on, while you soothe your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. So try Theragun for 30 days. There really is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, 
personalized Theragun app and the quiet and power you need. It starts at only $199. So go to theragun.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash martini, theragun.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's talk more about who's going to get to do what once the COVID vaccine is ready. We've already talked about Ticketmaster wanting proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test within, I think, 72 hours of going to a concert once the concerts actually resume. And we said at the time, oh, I wonder if this is going to end up uh, being an issue with airlines. Well, it's going to be an issue with airlines. Qantas CEO Alan Joyce recently gave an interview to A Current Affair uh, down there in Australia. And uh, he was simply asked, once the vaccine's ready, is it going to be required to get on board a Qantas flight? And he said for international flights, absolutely. Alan, when there is a vaccine, are you going to require all of your passengers to be vaccinated before they get on a plane? Yeah, we are looking at changing our terms and conditions to say for international travellers uh, that we will ask people to have a vaccination before they can get on the aircraft. Uh, what do you need that domestically? Uh, we'll have to see what happens with COVID-19 in the market, but certainly for international visitors coming out and people leaving the country, we think that's a necessity. Now, Jim, I just want to stipulate that I'm pro-vaccine. I'll probably let more people get in line before I get in just to see what the side effects are once this comes out. But I'm pro-vaccine. What I'm very anti is mandatory vaccine. You have to let us inject this into your body. I understand the rationale. We want to get this uh, out of the way uh, and so forth. But uh, I think there is a personal liberty issue very much at stake here. And the more people uh, that try to shove people out of society or reduce access to things, if they don't get the vaccine, it's going to make the mask war look like uh, kindergarten. Yeah, look, in all of these conversations, the phrase when there is a vaccine, that phrase is doing a lot of work in that sentence, <laughs> because uh, I believe the head of uh, Operation Warp Speed said that, you know, they, they basically as soon as it's approved by the FDA and they're looking at, you know, it takes about 24 hours to get, you know, get the approval and ship it out. They think by December 12th, I mean, just, you know, about two weeks after Thanksgiving, Americans could start getting the vaccine, which would be a remarkable and fantastic achievement. And they said, yeah, we're going to have millions available uh, this year. Not enough for all Americans, of course. And so the interesting question will be, you know, my assumption is that most it's going to be administered by states. Different states are going to have different standards as to who get it first. I assume most states will have let's do uh, uh, first responders and medical personnel, people who are constantly being exposed to the virus. If they haven't caught it already, let's uh, vaccinate them first. Then it probably would go to the elderly and those who are immunocompromised, the people who are at highest risk. And so what we're going to get is we're going to get vaccinated in stages. And you know, it's possible some states will do it by age group. It's possible. Uh, my assumption is that they'll probably do it based on doctor's recommendations of who is most vulnerable. So it might be if you have something that's compromising your immune system, you go to the front of the line. Uh, but if you've got uh, diabetes or high blood pressure or some other factor, OK, you're going next month. So we're going to be in this thing where it'll be an interesting question of like, you know, when there's a vaccine available. Well, it may not be available to all Americans at the same time. So if you're Qantas or let's say you're some airline and you have this abstract notion of I want we only want people who are vaccinated on our airline. If somebody is in that 65 or plus group and they aren't vaccinated and they're starting the vaccination for that group, do you hold them off? But you say to everybody who's 65 and under, that's OK, we're going to be fine. This is always going to be a little more complicated in practice than it is in theory. And I'm hoping that everybody 
everybody has some leniency. Maybe, you know, maybe there's long lines wherever we, we aren't even sure where they're getting it. Are people getting it at doctor's offices? Are they getting it at particular testing facilities? At some point, could you get it at uh, CVS or Walgreens? I noticed when I went to Walgreens the other day, they now have signs up that say the COVID-19 vaccine is not available yet. And Greg, I guess it's sort of a, a good sign. It means people must have been coming into the store and asking for it. They probably heard the headlines. People at the Walgreens or CVS have to say, hey, they're in the testing stage. It's looking good, but it's not ready yet. We haven't had it. Uh, we haven't had it arrive yet. So any authority, whether it's an airline, theaters, um, concert halls, stadiums, any big event where you want to have a lot of people there, as they're instituting these rules, I hope they have the, the good judgment to recognize not everybody is going to have the same level of, uh, of access to this vaccine. And at some point you might be saying, I'm sorry, you can't go to that concert. You haven't had a vaccine yet. And this person will be answering, I haven't had a vaccine, be able to vaccinate yet because I'm not eligible yet. You know, my state isn't going to allow people under age 30 until next month or something like that. So, but it does look like it's going to be a formula for severe headaches and a lot of arguments. And um, boy, we certainly had had enough of those, have we, Greg? <laughs> All right. What happens, though, when uh, the distribution time is over and there's just people who we're not talking about haven't gotten our turn yet? It's just mm. I don't, don't want to do that. So yeah, what- the, the anti-vaxxers. By the way, the aspect of the anti it's interesting, Greg, every once in a while you'll see two news stories that go back to back and it'll be something like new polling indicates that surprisingly high percentage of Americans don't want to get the coronavirus. And then the next story, vaccine producers are warning they won't have enough vaccine for everyone all at once. Well, it seems like these two problems take care of each other. <laughs> so, but you're right. Come, you know, we're going to have different standards in February or March than we are probably in like May or June. And the question would be, once we've got more than 330 doses, and by the way, remember, you need two doses. Um, the question will be for those folks who have said, yeah, I don't trust the vaccine. I know millions of people have had it. I know everybody says it works, but I'm worried that it's going to cause me to grow a third eyeball or whatever, you know, things they're worried about. Um, and at that point, you'll start seeing people being, you know, shut out of public events and they've got, you know, maybe public transportation. Who knows? I don't know how you're gonna be able to check this on such a regular basis. But uh, at some point, yeah, it might require you to get some sort of, you know, I don't think something on your phone or uh, some other way of indicating. I don't think, by the way, tattoos or the Bill Gates plan to implant microchips is really going to work either, by the way. That's sarcasm, by the way, <laughs> for, for the guy at Media Matters who listens to us and now says, you know. Jim says Bill Gates is trying to implant microchips. I've never believed that. I've always thought it was Melinda. <laughs> I'm a feminist, Greg. Hey, guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations. And if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that, too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. All right, Jim, on to our third martini now. And gosh, it just seemed like it was Thursday where Jenna Ellis and Rudy Giuliani were standing right next to Sidney Powell talking about how they're going to blow the doors off this voter fraud conspiracy that uh, prevented Donald Trump from winning in a landslide. Well, something crazy happened between Thursday and Sunday because in a very terse statement issued last night, Uh, The Trump campaign team says this, quote, Sidney Powell is practicing law on her own. She is not a member of the Trump legal team. She is also not a lawyer for the president in his personal capacity, signed by Rudy 
and Jenna Ellis. So, Jim, I don't know if it was uh, finally got to the point where, you know, in the vein of Tucker Carlson, okay, here are the allegations, let's see some evidence, and, and it still didn't get ponied up, or there was just a clash of personalities here, but this seems to be getting weirder and weirder all the time. Yeah, you know, Greg, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is time for people to pull up a chair and we'll just kind of have some blunt talk about things we have learned watching politics. You can be very, very bright and you can be very, very accomplished and you can still be crazy. You may remember the story of Lisa, I believe it's Nowak, uh, who was an aeronautical engineer, former U.S. Navy captain and the Navy astronaut. And she's the one who drove halfway across the country to a cost and pepper spray uh, a woman who was involved with the other astronaut. Remember, this is this was the, the, the you know basically the the astronaut who went nuts. Crazy people walk around, generally functional, until you ask them about a particular topic, and then all of a sudden you find out they believe the the moon is made of green cheese, or that um, the Earth is flat, the moon landing was faked, or some other uh, nutty you know uh, belief that is contradicted by all known facts, right? Uh, and today's morning, Joel, I tried to go through a whole bunch of arguments by the uh, the president's legal team, and particularly specializing on Sidney Powell, who had speculated uh, that Republican candidates had also paid to have the Dominion voting system rigged to work for them. Um, she also had speculated that uh, the the effort by the using Dominion systems to fix the vote um, was either missed by DOJ, the she said the National Security Administration. I think she means the National Security Agency. Department of Homeland Security and FBI, or they were complicit in it. And she said she's pretty sure the CIA had a hand in it. Uh, she also said that the uh, Department of Defense had been working with Bernie Sanders and AOC, how to commit sabotage in their offices. Uh, and then finally, I think probably the, the, the one that really was just the cherry on top was her, her assertion that Democrats had used the Dominion voting machines in the Democratic primary of 2016 to ensure that Hillary Clinton would beat Bernie Sanders that Bernie Sanders then learned about it and Bernie Sanders sold out. Uh, he uh, decided not to stand up for his uh, the, his rightful win. He was somehow bought off or something like that. And what's more, uh, that apparently the Hillary Clinton use of this Dominion system to fix elections, great, I guess they, I guess they just stopped using it because she lost the 2016 presidency. She's like, oh, we're gonna use this this way of guaranteeing a victory in the primary. Yeah, then shut the machines off. We, we, we don't have to worry about it against Trump. Clearly, at some point, uh, this became too much for the Trump team, for even Rudy Giuliani, even for Ellison and all that stuff. And they have cut ties to her. Now, this should not come as a giant shock. Her statements went pretty far. All of these voting machines get checked by people of both parties before they get used. And a whole bunch, you know, for this conspiracy to work, you would have to involve lots and lots of Republicans you know, at every level, including pro-Trump Republicans. I mean, you really have to buy that Ron DeSantis is in on it if he's saying, hey, it's okay to use the Dominion voting machines. It is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It is kind of infuriating, and it's kind of an indication. Like I'm, I'm, In addition to everything else, Greg, for the last couple of days, I've been laying out all the different ways this conspiracy theory doesn't make sense, and I have run into people who have said, you just wait and see, Jim. Well, the fact that the Trump campaign no longer is associating with Sidney Powell should be a giant red flag that she doesn't have the goods, that there is no Kraken to unleash, and that there's no grand conspiracy that she is about to unveil like Mulder and Scully. And I think it's time for these people to, you know, you want to go to these people and kind of shake them and say, you have bought into something that is completely made up, that there is no evidence for this, and you're following a crazy person. And I'd really like to see people stop following the crazy person, but... Um, Greg, it's the internet. I really should probably not get my hopes up too high. <laughs> 
Wow. Wow. More twists and turns all the time. So, Jim, I guess that's enough for a Monday. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, see you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Don't forget about our friends over at Theragun, theragun.com slash martini. Also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Please uh, leave your kind comments and your five-star ratings. We always love those. You can also get us on those home devices. Just say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and join us Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.